94, take three. Now listen, Cumus. The reason the stars in your sky change is they don't. They don't. No, they don't. Your entire planet jumps through space. Those engines? Those engines. Huge enough to dematerialize an entire hollow planet, flip it halfway across the galaxy, and rematerialize it round and pray. Oh, fuck it! <laughs> And coming up in this episode, it's the Tom Baker Special Part 2. Whoa! It's the piss-up years! Roll out a barrel! All this and more. In Doctor Who, the complete menagerie. Oh, most I love you. <laughs> hello and welcome to Doctor Who, the complete menagerie. Oh, hello. Almost. A podcast dedicated to Doctor Who. I am Samuel. I'm Tom. And I'm Greg. What's that squirt I just heard? It's a drop of Crowden's comfort. My dreams of conquest! Would you like to try it? I'd love to. What we're looking at, listeners, is, is uh, three similar-looking bottles of what looks like pop. Mm. Ginger, ginger pop. Ginger pop. Yes. What, is it, what is it, Greg? Well, I'm on the scrap heap at the moment, so I'm, I'm making my own uh, homebrew. On the scrap heap. I'm, I'm calling this uh, Crowden's Comfort. Parsnip ale, is it? You can get the, um, you can get it from um, all good bookshops. From Wilco's, it's about uh, twelve pound for the uh, for the stuff, and it makes forty pints. So forty pints. You do the math. <laughs> That's uh, very good. Value for money. And why are we drinking ale um, during this particular episode? Well, because Tom Baker was permanently pissed <laughs> during the Graham Williams era. Um, what I normally do with these bottles, people used to say to me things like, um, Guinness, it doesn't travel well, it doesn't travel well. Well, I've been to Ireland. It's a beautiful country. I've had a pint of Guinness there. And, but it's no better than it is over here, so I've always been a bit dubious. But is what it? I think they mean by it is that there's a secondary fermentation process that sometimes takes place either in barrels or in bottles, right. which I've started to learn since I've been making my own homebrew. So with this one, for example, what I would normally do, because there's secondary fermentation in the bottle for a couple of weeks, at least a fortnight, and you put some, introduce some sugar whilst you bottle it, that's what gives it the carbonation. That's why it's, it's got a good head on it. Ah. The secondary fermentation clears the liquid. Right. So it's a little bit cloudy when it goes into the bottle. And then you add, introduce the sugar and it goes clear. And that's when you know it's, it's drinkable and when it's okay. fully carbonated. Uh, yes, good. But the sediment ends up at the bottom of the, the bottle. So one has to be very careful to... But I've carried these bottles from uh, Kent all the way up here. Ah. So that's why they're slightly cloudier than they should be. But... It's not going to kill you, is it, then? No, no, no. But there, it, there might, be a, it might be a touch of yeasty, but this should be uh, perfectly drinkable. But they, it ought to be clearer than... I mean, it looks like beer. It's the sort of beer that you'd send back, isn't it, yeah. if you were in a pub? But uh, it looks all right. It looks, it looks, like, it looks, looks like a Mary so, Jane. It's like a light, like gold nail, isn't it? Yeah, it smells pretty potent. Yeah, it's like bread. It, it should be about three and a half percent. Doesn't it? it smells like yeast. I mean, that's obviously what the, the, yeah, the process of brewing is. But mm. well, let's let's clink these and it should yeah. be about three and a half. Here's to Tom Baker. Here's to Crowden. Tom Baker well, and Crowden. Crowden's yeah. comfort. That's better than it's I thought it would bad. be. Yeah, I was about to have to spit it out all over <laughs> Sam's electric. Uh, <laughs> I thought it'd be pickled egg gate version. It too. certainly doesn't smell inviting, but it's. Uh, very refreshing. 
It's got some complex flavours going on. Citrusy. Yeah, but I'd drink anything myself, but I'd certainly drink that. Well, they're only half bottles, I'll pop them on the table and you can help yourselves, lads. Oh, thanks, Greg. Well, this is a, a lovely way to kick That's off. Not what, bad, yeah, not bad. Kick off our podcast, which is all about the Graham Williams era. It's the second part of three parts of our Tom Baker series of specials. Yeah, but I mean, I thought listeners might be uh, more interested to hear that. Thankfully, my washing machine has now been repaired. <laughs> it's in fully working order. <laughs> Can I also, uh, before the line comes, I got a text from my wife uh, just now as I was micturating. <laughs> and uh, it, it, my son is called Fred, he's only one. And, uh, and, the, and the text reads this, Fred just applauded a picture of Alan Bennett, then licked it. A snatch of David Attenborough, say, when you'd switched on for Ross Abbott. A quick blast of Magritte when what you thought you were getting was Maigret. <laughs> so he's marked him out as a, as a genius from the... From the it's, it's not a... It's Alan Bennett who all the babies are after. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, wonderful. And your daughter's calling the, the, the Daleks the Garlics, Garlics yes. Yeah, yeah, all, last week. It's, it's, all, uh, it's all happening in my family. Lovely. None of them have ever seen a frame of Doctor Who. Heartwarming. But, but Alan Bennett, yes. Imagine licking Alan Bennett. If there's no such thing as society, then this is of no consequence. <laughs> I think somebody else probably yes. has. Yeah. People <laughs> have. <laughs> Rupert has. <laughs> yes. Alan Bennett, he's in Section 28. They have an inalienable right to be gay. Yes, well, when uh, Ian McKellen tried to out him by saying he preferred uh, uh, men to women, and Alan Bennett said it, it's a bit like asking uh, Wilfred Thesiger, who's crawled across the desert, whether he'd like Perrier or Evian. <laughs> <laughs> so that we end up with a diet of pap and crap, such as they get in France or Italy. OK, Greg, so what's your line? Well, I mean, to, to put it into context... It's a long choice, George. Your washing machine. <laughs> My line is... Intimidation. The more ritual and mumbo-jumbo, the greater deterrent. That's the whole point of officials, eh? Not the line again. Intimidation. The more ritual and mumbo-jumbo, the greater deterrent. That's the whole point of officials, eh? Hmm. Sunmakers? It's 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 good. It's not right. Is it from that era though? Sort of. Uh, well, my 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 big big clue is you've not got it straight away, which is much to my amazement. Um, is that yes, it's the Graham Williams era. Hmm. You want to mull it? Can I hear it one more time? Yeah, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Try and put the inflection in that we had in the TV series. Okay. <laughs> Intimidation. <laughs> More ritual and mumbo jumbo, the greater deterrent. That's the whole point of officials, isn't it? Is it Sarah Jane? <laughs> uh, okay. So it's obviously Tom's doctor. Uh, yes. Right. Uh, I think we'll have to sit on that one and maybe come back to it at the end of the episode. So let's remember uh, to come back to that. Uh, at which point, Buddy Windrush is jumping up and down in his Howling seat. like a howler monkey. Yes. Got it straight away, I'll wager. Well, also, I mean, uh, so as we mentioned last week, there's a whole uh, Twitter a Twitter following, Facebook following of actual Doctor Who fans, which were currently howling alongside Billy Windrush, yeah. too. So uh, so apologies to them. Yes. Well, we don't, we don't always get these things straight away, do we? We have quite wide I never get them. I, I, can, I can't even remember the name of a book I've just read. So yeah. know, we have overarching years. knowledge rather than... Particular knowledge, I think. <laughs> that's that's a good excuse. Well, yeah. 
I must say, this crown with comfort, you smell it and then you drink it, and it sort of has a, sort of a, it has a kick. It does. It does have a kick, actually. This is my second batch of home. It's a bit woozy, actually, even just a sip of it. But I have no idea what the alcohol percentage is. I did do a gravity test, which fellow home brewers will understand what that means. And it seemed to come out round about 3.5, but I have a feeling it might be a bit stronger than that. Cloudy's it doesn't taste too strong, but that doesn't mean anything, does it? Yeah. Yeah. I like it, Greg. I genuinely like it. I well, could drink that quite yes, quickly. Yes. 40 pounds, you say, we've got to get through. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't bring all the bottles with me. I couldn't carry them all on the national distress. I feel sure Tom Baker would approve of this. Yeah, I, I hope so. Well, here's to you, Tom, and here's to you, Graham Crabbe, and God bless your soul. God bless your soul. <laughs> but, you know, just to put it into context, when Roger Moore became James Bond, <laughs> and when he left James Bond, he straddled the John Pertwee to the Colin Baker era. Yeah. Yeah. For for your television, and I yeah hate the fucking channel. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about that. That's for a, a long time. time. A long time to be James Bond, isn't it? Yeah. Gosh. Gosh. <laughs> what a way of putting I'm it. A bit drunk now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have overlooking us uh, on this episode quite aptly. The Dennis Fisher, Tom Baker doll with Gareth Hunt's head from. Mm, yeah. It's not good, is it? <laughs> um, and the Dennis Fisher canine. Uh, from, I think, 1977. Right, it's 1977. We've had tellings of Wing Chiang. We have. That's happened. The, high the only way is up. Mm. We're in season 15, Tom? Uh, yes, according to Jean-Marc, the fifth year, our favourite Frenchman. Can I read out what's in the season? Yeah, let's appraise the season. The Invisible Enemy, the image of the Fender R, the Sunmaker's Underworld, the Invasion of Time. Now, there's one thing that that stands out immediately in my mind's eye. from this stands out. (laughs) From this season, apart from Horror Fan Rock being almost a continuation of the status quo from the Philip Hinchcliffe, is cheap. Cheap, just It just feels cheap. It's all vain from cheap. It is. It's a lovely yes, story. Yes, but it's cheap. But uh, it, like, if you had were to have no money, you'd set everything on, in one set, wouldn't you? Yeah. I a lighthouse, so it doesn't feel cheap. Mm. It feels. But like, the sets feel cheap. No, I know, but but they're not overstretching themselves like they are in Invisible Enemy. Exactly. And the monsters feel cheap. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there is instantly a, a reduction of production value in this yeah. season, isn't there? Oh yeah. Degrading. Three day week, wasn't it? Three day week. Inflation. Yes. I mean, what was going on? Still getting into that. <laughs> because, oh, I mean, why, why does it look so cheap? Because it is relevant, isn't it, why it looks so cheap? Because what was going on in Britain at the time? The pound in your pocket. Yeah, it was Ted Heath, and he was an awful, awful man. You know, none of these in that season stand out as being any good. Oh, I, I like Horror of Fan Rock. Oh, no, no, except for Horror of Fan Rock. Oh, right. Say so them again, Tom. For, yeah. Horror of Fan Rock. Horror of Fan Rock, the Invisible Enemy, 4T4X, Image of the Fan <laughs> 4W, and the Sun Makers, starring Ian Duncan Smith. 4Y, uh, Underworld, 4Z, 
Invasion of Time. So there's not really, those last five are pretty unremarkable. And if, as, a, as a new producer, mm. I don't think I'd be too proud of any of those. I don't, think it, I don't think it's a particularly well thought through season. There's no thread there. If you look at Tom's mm. first season, they really are connected. Yeah. It's almost an arc. It's mm. really well put together. I think partially because of Barry Letts leaving and assisting in that. But what you've got here basically is, I think, Hinchliffe leaving Doctor Who and literally going out the door and leaving the office door open. Yeah. And Graham Williams coming in. And this feels very much like a rushed collection of stories which they found in the final Well, character. I've just had to ask Tom what stories are actually in that season. Yeah. I mean, if it was an earlier Tom Becker season, I'd know which stories yeah. are in it. You know, yeah, that's telling in itself. Um, they're sort of treading water, really, aren't they? They are, and they're running out of money. Underworld was so badly put together, they had virtually no sets to work oh, with. Oh, it's horrendous. I find it so dry and difficult to even watch mm. Underworld. It's the only Tom Baker story I don't like. Well, do um, we think this season is the first signs of a dip in the 70s? Definitely. But is it Graham Williams' fault? Because he, his hands were tied in a way, weren't they? Because Doctor Who, I mean, we, we joke about, I can still see it in my mind's eye. <laughs> but Mary Whitehouse did have an effect on Doctor Who, and they were told they had to rein it in. And Philip Hinchcliffe himself has admitted that they got away with too much. They did push the boundaries very deliberately. Mm. They knew what they were doing. Um, but because there were no restrictions at the time or the rules hadn't really been set, so they got away with what they could get away with. And then when, when it was decided that was too much, it was too graphic, Graham Williams came in and he was told he had to rein in the violence. Yeah. And so the first story, Horror of Bangor, of course, everybody is killed off, but not particularly graphically. There's no on-screen blood or anything like that, is there? They're quite, I mean, no, but they're also quite spacey, aren't they? They're all out in different yeah. planets. Yeah. It's very difficult to achieve on no money. Yeah, and it can get a bit dry after mm. a while. It's like, oh, they've gone to another planet and they're going to solve this problem on another planet where there's this... Uh, mm. As opposed to mixing it up. There's no, um, I suppose, as a, other than Horror Fang Rock, there's not much historical stuff. No. There's not much uh, Earth-based. Is the Invasion of Time on? Uh, that, that's on Gallifrey. Gallifrey, yeah. So, uh, but filmed in a hospital at the end. And written over a weekend. It's, so all of it is just a bit like, they're kind of cut loose from reality in a sense. They're sort of just all over the place with no really overarching thought behind it. And I think that's probably why the following season got more of a, a structure to it. Which yes. is the key to time series. Yeah, so I think, think they purposely thought, look, we need to, we need to do something. Yeah. A product here which has a beginning with like name. No, I don't think the key to time thing really even works that well. It, you know, it's, it's 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 the sign of things going a bit wrong. I think when you when an arc, such a strong arc is put into it, it was the first mm. time in Doctor Who, I think. Yeah, you, know, you had Perth be stranded in on Earth, but and you had the Master sort of always being the baddie, but it was never as tied. I think that when you when you start putting in the 16th season, when you start putting something that specific. I think they're in trouble. Right. Creatively, they don't seem to be in trouble with the audience. They don't seem to give a shit. They yeah. keep watching in their droves and, yeah. and, it, and things. You but know, creative. But creatively, it seems like, oh, what, what can we do now? And it doesn't seem to be very inventive. So whereas, all, as you say, Robot and up until Red the Sun, they're all kind of linked somehow. Yes. And they were sequential, but but there wasn't too. It didn't feel, feel heavy-handed. The key of time is entirely heavy-handed. It oh, it's, it's it's the biggest MacGuffin going. And it's entirely him. like let's get some stories that are unrelated, and and then back. How do you, what's that word? Retrofit them yes. to kind of fit a certain. The narrative. idea was so awful. They repeated it. <laughs> great success later in the Colin Baker era. <laughs> yes, um, but it, imagine we were. Uh, I don't know, the age we're at now, maybe a bit younger, mid-twenties or whatever, and we were, um, 
the Philip Hinchcliffe era was going out at the time, we were watching it, yeah, we yeah, would love it. But then we would we get to the Graham Williams era and start talking up. to one another? I think mm, I'm not sure we're going to tune into this. Would we? Well, because we're going to be adults, really, but I, uh, you know, I don't think it's for us, but I, it's certainly not as engaging. And I look at all these things and I think, have I even seen that? I can't even remember. Mm. Uh, I, I think I have seen most of them, but I just can't get me muster up huge enthusiasm. Looking at the key to time season, the rebus operation is good. Stones, are, but I mean, they're all okay. But they, this is like the yeah, there's lots of okay stories. The Armageddon factor. The stories aren't particularly fine. strong. They're not yes. bad because they've got Tom Baker in them. But even he, I mean, we talked about um, him being drunk, and you can tell yeah. he looks ill. He looks terrible. We'll come back to that on the Pirate Planet. But I just I think, think he's—you yeah. can see—he's been drinking a lot. He's taking. Mm. He's just—he's coasting. I think because the violence had been diminished so much, and obviously they had to replace that with something, so it was comedy. Yeah. Uh, but Tom yeah. was just bored, so he played up to that even more. And I think we have a producer here, Graham Williams, that was really being controlled by the, the show's leading man at that point. Was he was too weak a leader, maybe. Maybe. Well, I think if you think about Brain and Morbis, which we discussed at the last Tom Baker special, I like the way that that could have had Tom cracking jokes all the way through. But it had such high drama that the jokes yeah. worked. When yeah. the jokes, are, and I, you know, I, I say this as a, as a lover of comedy, and I love Douglas Adams' books and stuff, and we'll mm. come on to him in detail later. But I, I think when the comedy is up front, it, it just doesn't work mm. because the drama is diminished. So the jokes don't, uh, aren't, but the jokes aren't good enough. I was watching Seeds of Doom more recently, and there's, there a, there's a lovely scene that. in that that Tom Baker starts with a with a chair over his head. It's, you know, when he's, sort of, <laughs> he's in that office where he's talking. He's, yeah. It's quite early on, and they're trying to find out who the mole is, you know. And um, it's really—it's dangerous, you know, and all that. And it, it ends with that joke, you know. It, it, it will destroy everything, everything. Do you understand? Even your pension. <laughs> and that's a lovely joke, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's serious it's as in well. In the context so, yeah. of a serious story, and I think yes. you know, when when you don't take the story seriously, you just think, well, why, what's the point in watching it? And why, why should I take the story seriously if the doctor is? And I think a lot of the humour which is coming in, well, the supposed humour of this era, which is Tom. Crashing around, mugging to camera. He does a lot of looking mugging. into camera. Don't mug. He starts looking down the lens, which is a big. <laughs> he's getting a bit mad. It, it's purely a reflection of his boredom in the rehearsal room, and he's adding all of this nonsense into the script, like flipping a coin and waiting, mm. you know, for it to drop into his hand a minute later. It doesn't add anything to the story. It's not even that clever, really. Which but story is that? In? That'll be in the Pirate Planet. We'll talk about later. Oh yes. It's, this is. I don't remember that. <laughs> I watched it as well. Too. It's it's not particularly funny. So even the even the humour in this isn't very good at this time. So you've got cheapness in production values. You've got a bit of a bored leading man. Well, you've got not particularly strong stories. What's carrying the show at this point apart from Tom Baker's charisma? Affection. You, you Just had, affection. Yeah. I mean, Tony Tony Reed came in as the script editor, didn't he? After. Um, but maybe there's nothing else on the other side. Tony Reid dead now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. dead last year. Very accomplished writer, did very good adaptations of Chocky, Chocky. and things like Chocky. that. But I don't think he did a very good job on Doctor Who. I think mm. he did a very careless script editorial job on the series. Maybe he didn't care enough. I'll tell you who was directing the, uh, the Pirate Planet and directing director a lot of Doctors. Heaven Thomas. Never lucky with Doctor Who. No, no, Diminishing returns. But didn't, as well. he just, didn't he just do didn't he use some episodes of Survivors as well? Yeah, and much um, more successful than Tenko. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of <laughs> Robert Sully. Do you know what he ended drama or comedy? In the, in the 80s, he did Warriors of the Deep, yeah. and then Time Lash. 
Time lash. <laughs> 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 I do like time lash. I don't like uh, Warriors of the Deep. I think it's overblown nonsense. Like, I think it's because it's been so dirty, dumbed down and dirtied by do gooders. I hate everything, Colin Baker. Now you're defending time lash. I just got to you're perverse. Good card player. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. I'm just looking so we're on. in the middle now of key to time season. Yeah. Which is Mary, Mary Tam comes in. We lose Louise Jameson. She's the last vestige of the mm. Hitchcock era gone. Mm. And we have, I think, a new doctor effectively. Tom Baker's I think we have role. A new Tam uh, being sexy, mm. didn't we? When we've got our danders up. Yeah. Well, you, in the you two did. No, I know, but I, I must Steely. say, that it, we do calm down this podcast. I mean, uh, the early episodes of this series, we were, our dandas were up. Yeah. Literally. And then, but then Buddy oh, Windrush came along and everything. <laughs> our dandas were pretty much extinguished. Uh, turgid. <laughs> <laughs> Limp. Limp. <laughs> Rather like this uh, amusingly shaped carrot I found in your Which we'll tweet a picture of. <laughs> so it'll make sense. Um, but that's <laughs> that when our dandas were, were turgid. And I, I just think we're a bit more contemplative. Mm. Where, where am I going with this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, let, let's talk about humour then, because I mean, they, they got rid of the vibe. No, 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 it was Mary Tam. Mary, Mary Tam. And it was actually, I don't think she's terribly good uh, as an actor. No, it's just the character's a little bit grating, isn't it? Yeah, she's a no. She's very, no, very again, what they're doing. Very straight. Let's very have, straight. let's have an arc. Let's have a, let's have a thing that over. That's not a good idea. Let's have a, let's have someone who's equal to the Doctor. Well, that's not a very good idea either. I know it's different, and we've, and, but there's a sort of a, a continued obsession with with Doctor Who writers and producers to say, let's make it different. Let's make it difficult. Well, what's wrong with a formula? What's wrong with a, a mm. gutsy heroine like Sarah Jane Smith, who you care about, and write, a character who you can relate to? Because if you don't have Anyone you can relate to. Who have you got in the TARDIS? The Doctor, who's mm. some, you know, loony. Uh, Mary Tam, as Ro Martler, who's just a sort of science bod. And then K9, who are you supposed to relate to? Sorry, mm. there's no one in that team that you can relate to until Andrew comes along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? We so, forgot to mention K9, of course, K-9. who came along in, in the, the previous season, yeah. Invisible Enemy. Yeah. Very, I mean, much maligned at, uh, K9, isn't he? Yes. I don't like him, but then I'm, a, I'm a, <laughs> you know, I'm a... It's an obvious Rogue reaction Rogue. to me for Star Wars, you know, Star Wars merchandising at the time. I think that the robot that's what I think you're right, that you've hit mm. upon when you've cast a huge shadow and it really spelt the death knell of Doctor Who, mm. didn't it? Well, apparently Tom Baker went to go and see years, but, uh, <laughs> he, he went to go and see Star Wars with, um, I think it was Graham Williams at the time, and maybe it and Hope, something like that, and he was sat in the audience and <laughs> apparently he shouted out, clearly through jealousy, and they're going to bore us all to death! <laughs> And of course, everyone goes, oh, Doctor Who's in the audience watching Star Wars. But it, 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 you can in- instantly see in Invasion of Time yeah. an opening sequence with a space cruiser yeah, yeah. going over. It's obviously having an impact, and they're obviously paranoid that they're competing That's with this comedy big... robot. Yeah. And you've got a comedy robot in that comes into it, K9, which is just like R2D2, effectively. Well, I mean, they've done an awful film, The Black Hole. Uh, what was that? Disney film. Was that later 70s? It was it? about 19, yeah, 78 or 1980 maybe, which Anthony Perkins was in it. And uh, that German actor who died in this, what was his name? I can't remember now. Um, Maximilian Schell. Gunter Grass? Uh, 
And that had a comedy robot sidekick in it as well. It was all the rage at that Comedy time. robot sidekicks can mm. fuck off. Yeah, they, they can. Because they're the neither kids, comedy so. nor... Well, actually, they are robots. <laughs> but they're not really funny, are they? But, it, but the kids love it. The little the kids love it, I suppose, and the merchandisers. But you know, it's, it's hardly a uh, revolutionary to sort of be down on K9. Everyone's at it in the mm. most random uh, inverted commas. Not be down on John Leeson. Oh no, no he very was a uh, very nice chap. But uh, uh, but uh, voices it very well. And, and you know, as the time went on, they just had to have myriad reasons why K9 could bugger off and not have him in it. But that's what... he kept breaking down. Didn't he's he? he's, he's a frustra- frustrating device for me because he's just basically a cannon on wheels that the Doctor uses. To... Very noisy in close-ups, <laughs> with the ears going... Oh, God, it drives you mad. So we start to realise... I don't think we're, getting... we're saying anything too original, no. then, are we? You know, people yeah. But it's an important thing to acknowledge that at this point in time, Tom Baker's competing with a robot dog, and also he's got a companion that's quite stiff and steely, and yes. I think that makes him pratter out even yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it's the pure boredom. Uh, Greg's off a more crowded comfort, but I am driving, so I don't want to be... Uh, so does it help to watch time. this era of Doctor Who drunk? I think it does, because you're, you're with Tom Baker with <laughs> yeah, yeah, a yeah. ride there. Yeah. Watch with Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom drink, Baker drinking drink, game. Drink I mean, as much as uh, Tom Baker does. Tom Baker had more or less given up even having costume, hadn't he? He was he wearing his own clothes. His own trousers and shirt, yeah. And uh, legend has it that he used to go out on the piss and just turn up Newer doorman at the uh, the BBC used to let him in to sort of sleep on sleep on the doorway. And, uh, then he, he was really enjoying himself, wasn't he? And really, he probably should have left after yeah. um, the horror fang rock. You know, the, the, the tone. Good three years. But he was onto a good thing with the money, and I think yeah, he was comfortable. Yeah, he was popular. People loved it. Oh, and, uh, you know, in certain, in certain things, you know, you can't. Do, where, 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 what, when did Graham Williams' era finish? Where, Horns of Nyman. Horns of Nyman, Sharda. So, so you've got, I mean, Sharda was a cock up, wasn't it? We, we, we should be telling you. Every season finale, not that they're really but, proper finale, is, is a disaster mm. under the Graham Williams tenure. It's I would say that, that mm. City of Death is one of the true Doctor Who greats, but by accident rather than design. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. it's a wonderful story, it's brilliant, and we can cover it in more detail in other episodes. But it's one of the reasons why we won't be talking about that, because it stands out yeah, as yeah. being quite good well, Dudley amongst Simpson the dirt. Well, Dudley wasn't he? I mean, his incidental music is incredibly similar. <laughs> <to the director. laughs> yeah. no idea That's not Dudley Simpson. Any Doctor Who music is... <laughs> 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 but, I mean, they, they, um, it became quite schoolboy, the humour, didn't it? I mean, they had... Um, Undergraduate humour. Uh, Dougie Adams came in as the script editor after Anthony Reid, and it was all a very... Uh, same kind of um, humour, wasn't it? Which Tom Baker yeah. quite liked. He's sort of, I think, on record saying he likes that humorous element. But it was well, all I think if kind it's not of paired Oxbridge. with which, but if it's not paired with decent drama, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, and it, and uh, you know, Douglas Adams is a genius. Uh, I love his books. Everything I've read, pretty much everything he's written. But that maybe this wasn't his thing because it, it was a it's a tea time family drama. It's not mm. a, a comedy with science in it. And you know, if you're changing that around, if you're ch- trying to change it as a, to a comedy, then it doesn't work. And he found his, he found his metier in, in yeah. *Star the Galaxy*. He invented a new genre. Well, he invented, yes, indeed, yeah. because he didn't with *Doctor Who*. No, he, he was he was trying to slot into too. something, but he invented something that now people do all the time, like comedy sci-fi. Yeah. It, but he invented it. 
And he did it so well that I think he's brilliant. But I mean, he was already Who. sort of doing it with Doctor Who. No, but he was—he was, he was, he, 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 he really was a round peg in a square hole, yeah. or something like that. It's, the, it's a wackiness and, and the grand ideas which yeah. he introduced in Doctor Who because the ideas it are doesn't huge. Doesn't work in Doctor Who. Though, They're too big. They're almost as big as, as the ideas in the new series, which are just mm. as silly. Which is why he worked very well on radio. Mm. Yeah. You don't need a budget. In fact, the TV show, which I was in, actually not much comedy, oh, even though terrible. it did have Peter Davison in it. It and did as a, a giant as a pig. comedy pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which we, we all love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was great, and it had Peter Jones as the book. Uh, but there's something curious about Hitchhiker's Guide. It doesn't really translate to visuals much. No, it's all about. It's a bit like. Um, uh, Jeeves and Worcester, you know, and, and to some extent Dickens, you know, it's not about the uh, the plot or the character or the incident. Mm. It's about the way that it is written. It's, it's, it's a turn of phrase. Mm. It's an yes. archness, yes. which is you can't translate to the screen. Like you know, if if anyone's ever seen Jeeves and Worcester and not read the books uh, that oh, Woodhouse, come on. Then, come then they're missing a trick. And there's not, you know, we love Stephen Fry, and we love uh, Harold Laurie, but uh, Harold Lloyd, <laughs> but you know, they, they, they you miss about ninety percent. Of the human, uh, possibly the funniest books ever written. Yeah, I mean, have you tried them? P.J. Woodhouse. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I read them when I was very, I read some of them when I was very young. I had the collection. I mean, they're so fresh and crisp even now, yeah. aren't they? Brilliant. Seeing and stuff on telly, you know, once you sit it once, it's rather throwaway because you're focusing on the wrong thing. He's not a visual writer. Mm. It's all about there's some action, and he's commenting on the action as he writes about it. You can't do that on telly. No. You can't have an, uh, an arch narrator on telly, you, you know, it's, it's not possible. So those Jeeves and Worcester episodes, fine as they are, don't estimate to... Uh, you, you mentioned Nabokov there. Well, just in terms of, again, it's quality of the prose, you read it for the, the joy of the literature, so it doesn't translate terribly well onto screen. Yes, I mean, there's never been you a good version of Lolita, has there? Or Benin, but, uh, or speak memory. But, but um, yeah, the, the, the thing is... Uh, Oh, I had a good point then. What was it? I am giving me an exam. Yeah, but I'm telling you an exam. Apparently, I went completely cross-eyed. Yeah, it's it's the whole look of the the thing as well, because the whole look of the era. Because um, if you look at something like Talons of Wen Chiang, what sexy? It's directed mm-hmm. by David Maloney mm. uh, beautifully, and you had directors like Roger Murray Leach. If you think of the sets for the Ark in Space, designers. Uh, what did I say? Yeah, I mean, everybody was a lorry load of interesting cheeses. Directors. Directors, I beg your pardon. Yes, designers. The, yeah. the, the directors and designers of the, the uh, Hinchcliffe era. And compare them to... I mean, some of them overlap, certainly, but... The, the Williams era, it looks rather... dry, textured. But there's something else which changes, and I think the seriousness of the costumes shift at this point into Lady Gaga territory. Gaga, ooh la la! Your yeah. right, right. Which really reflects the it's disco, it'll do <laughs> for science fiction. It We're looks on like Blake Seven. We're in the uh, disco years. <laughs> and this is the problem. We, we literally are 1978. It's all a little bit glittery, and suddenly, even if you know, you've got the humour in the script, like it or not, you've got the disco element of the costumes, and then you've got, as you say, good, very, very bland production design because they don't have the money to do it. The show suddenly just doesn't feel quite right. It but you've still got Tom money. Baker, so you know, we, yeah. I agree you've got you've got sort of disparate elements there that don't really work, but you've still got Tom Baker. When all said and done, he's still much yeah. better than you know, other other Doctor Who. But the problem is the stars never quite align, do they? So you, you have something like The Sunmakers, which is actually a lovely idea. It's great. Uh, and it's written by Bob Holmes, who's 
the greatest writer who ever worked on Doctor Who. Um, and it's, it's fairly amusing. <coughs> Excuse me, the, the parody is, is good, you know, you, you can pick up on that. You, uh, children can enjoy it, adults can enjoy it at a different level. It's got that nice kind of dichotomy. Yet, the production values are so poor that you're just looking at appalling flats. Mm. I mean, the sets are just painted flats and it's all very beige and there's no depth of field. It's all just horribly flat. It's not very pretty on the eyes. It's hard to watch. And then you've got Underworld, which for me is the nadir of the Tom Baker era, which is just horrible beige costumes and CSO corridors. Mm. It's just so dreary to look at that I can't even be bothered with Bob Baker and Dave Martin's script. What the hell is it about? I have no idea because I can't <laughs> I sit through. It's just so horrible to look at. You should definitely choose that as a focus story. Well, well, you, 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 wouldn't, you would never get that in a in a uh, anything in the Hinchcliffe era, would you? Because it, it wouldn't have been. So to be blame Graham Williams. I mean, he seems like a nice chap. So it seems rather. Well, nice this is the problem. I think Tom Baker touched on it. Yeah. He was a really nice guy, you know, but he, he used to annoy me because he was right. scared of me. And he used yeah, to say yeah. this. And I think Tom Baker. there's something very irritating about somebody which isn't strong yes. sometimes. He will let things go. And I think there's an interesting character that's in the background of this, these couple of seasons, particularly the 60s and 70s. And it's a production unit manager called John Nathan Turner. Oh, oh, ah. John Nathan Turner! <laughs> John Nathan Turner! <laughs> <laughs> and he was watching. From on the wings. And waiting. <laughs> waiting. Stay tuned! <laughs> My time is nearly coming. How can I take the reins of such a show? Oh, Gary, it's a doable barker! <laughs> but he was watching it through gritted teeth, he disagreeing with a lot of decisions. Because ah. he didn't like the humour, didn't When I get my hands on this piece of shit, I'll <laughs> really fuck it up. <laughs> There'll be no humour. There'll be absolutely no production values, and I'll cast the worst Doctor Who. I'll <laughs> <laughs> show him. To credit where it's due, he was a, you know, a big critic of um, uh, the 16th season, Key to Time. Because he said it was a waste of time. It was, it was a MacGuffin. waste of time. Oh, very good. Time. I got a moment too soon. And he was chasing, you know, the Doctor yeah. and his companion are chasing a MacGuffin, which then just gets dispersed again at the end. Yeah, he was so it. critical of it, he thought he'd bring it back with the <laughs> <laughs> You can't, I mean, it's fair. He might, I, I, I don't know what he, his He hated are. quests. He hated but he, quests. But he, he really didn't the quest anything the to quest. improve it. It matters as much in his time. Um, but I think he... The production um, values. Were immensely better under Tom Baker. And we'll come to that when we get to the final point, you know, the, the final uh, Tom Baker special. Yeah. But we're moving away from the Key uh, Time into the final season of the 1970s and Graham Williams. It's <laughs> Thatcher's coming in. Mm. And we're opening up with a season and it's Destiny of the Daleks. Ooh. Which I mentioned a few weeks ago as, uh, as just being such a. If you just compare that to. Genesis is such, yeah. a, it's such a different... It's the sequel to Genesis of yeah, the Dark. it's just pathetic, isn't it, really? The tone is wrong. Yeah. Completely wrong. The tone is completely different. It's like Jaws versus Jaws 3. <laughs> it is. We'll suffocate the bitch. Shut down the pumps. Are you sure? Why don't we blow it up? Listen, 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 nephew. It's a two and a half million dollar turbine that's not going to go up in smoke because of some, some, some damn fish. Now shut the pumps down. Without Simon McCorkendale. And then we got yeah. the pirate fight, which we'll talk about later. And the, the creature from the pit. There's a nice story in the creature from the pit. And actually one we've skirted over, which is, uh, does have some atmosphere, is image of a Fendal. Uh, well, this is... Yeah, we've sort of missed that. Bit. It does have Dennis Lill in it. Have we ever told Lilgate? Have we ever told the listeners about Lilgate? Can we have a musical sting for Lilgate? <laughs> Gate? <laughs> 
Tom, tell us about Lil Gate. We're, we're mightily uh, impressed and obsessed with Dennis Lil, uh, all three of us. the Lillettes. We do, yeah. Uh, often we, well, we used to travel the country in search of Lil, <laughs> going to see him in various Agatha Christie's uh, aberrations that yeah. uh, Bill Kenwright was putting on at the time, shortly after he refused to fund our comedy musical. <laughs> but uh, so, so Lil was a, a, a terrible hero for all of us, and... Uh, well, we'd all love to survive. Yes, I was going to get to that. He, oh, he's, 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 he, he was a he was the breakout star of Survivors, and for those of you who don't know, he played uh, Cassandra's dad in Only Fools and Horses. Now, one of the features of Survivors in particular was Lil's lovely wig. <laughs> Lil was a, Lil is and was a bald man. This, this is very important for later. <laughs> Samuel Payne is even wincing just to, <laughs> just, to, just to just to listen to this part of the story, the setup. <laughs> Let's uh, let's fast forward to uh, to a few years later. Uh, now, me and my wife uh, and Sam and his the current Mrs. Payne uh, <laughs> went to see a show at the Grand Theatre in Leeds. It was in Agatha Christie. It was pretty dreary, but uh, but Lil shone shone like a diamond in the rough, mm. and he had a ball pate. And in the program, he had a ball pate. I was. I usually carry a sharpie wherever I go. Nothing, nothing, not for interviews, just for doodle purposes. Being an illustrator. Being a, a, an illustrator on the side, of it, possibly. Um, so I had a sharpie in my pocket. In the interval, I was just doodling, as is my want, and I just sort of doodled a little uh, a hairpiece on Lil in Lil's Lil's uh, face in the program, just to just to amuse myself, really. Uh, you know, because that was his, in his in his pomp as survivors, and it, it did sadden, especially my wife. We were both saddened, but. Uh, that Lil has come to this bald uh, nexus. Because he has a very handsome face. He, he looks a lovely bit man. like Timothy Doctor. Yeah. So uh, we then went to the pub afterwards and had a couple of drinks and we noticed there Lil shining in the corner with his bald paint reflecting off the pint glasses. And uh, Samuel Payne was there and he sort of encouraged me and he, he said, let's go, get, let's go and lunge for Lil. So I lunged at Lil. I said, Lil, Dennis, we enjoyed that performance. Would you sign the programme? And I thrust the programme to him with the, with the cover. Uh, now, the first thing Lil did was to go, was to find his picture. <laughs> now, I wasn't expecting this. I, I wanted him to, just to sign the cover. So Lil turned to the page in the, uh, the programme where his picture had been uh, 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 defaced, modified, modified <laughs> yes, with a, with a wig. <laughs> he looked down at the picture. He looked at me. You could tell he wasn't terribly happy. <laughs> of course, Sam was... Uh, were you aware of this? I don't think you I, were. I, I was aware of exactly what was going on as soon as you handed in the programme. Yeah. Oh, fucking And then he hell. started... Cause I, I didn't even think of it at the time. But he flicked to this page. What I like is, and you may have forgotten this, he, as he was looking at the picture of himself with a, with a toop, Scribbled on. Yeah. You said, "Oh, I've uh, made a small modification to the picture, <laughs> stating the bleeding obvious to Dennis Lill, who was already puce with rage." And so, just as he was about to sign his name, he said, "Who should I make it out to?" Arsehole! <laughs> and it was at that moment where Samuel Payne's face fell, and, if, and that, from that moment on, was he, he, he can't even think of Lilgate without wincing and crying into his porridge. Oh. Uh, so Sam and, uh, and, and his girlfriend and my wife were slightly mortified. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> well, I, I remember having this uh, text from Tom saying that they're in this pub in Leeds called the Wrens. Yeah, the Wrens. And, yeah. uh, and Dennis Lil was nearby. Should I lunge? Question mark. 
And I replied, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I spent the next 10, 20 minutes sort of expecting a, an update about what happened and so on. And didn't get one. So I eventually text Tom back saying, did your lunch? How did it go? And I got this reply saying, could have gone better. He called me an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I, you know, it was one of those things that you can't really... Uh, predict. Mm. <laughs> what made it worse is that we grabbed a photograph in the middle afterwards. Ah. Uh, like after we'd called me an arsehole and we'd had that sort of rather embarrassing, we had a couple of more drinks and kept ourselves to ourselves. But on our way out, I, is it I? Did I insist? Uh, you took a picture of me with Lil <laughs> on my camera, and I, when I saw the picture back, I'm beaming, and Lil is just looking down the lens at Tom <laughs> with pure <laughs> hatred. <laughs> So not only had I uh, mm, uh, somewhat peeved in the picture, offended him with his uh, lack of hair, and then he'd call me an arsehole and I demanded that <laughs> I take a picture of him with Samuel Payne, <laughs> looking about the most pained you've ever seen him. Yeah. Pained Payne. Yeah. He is a lovely guy. I wonder if you could tweet that photo. <laughs> yes, we'll put it out on the Twitter. Uh, the yeah. Lil Gates. So there's Lil Gates. I'm, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to, to tell Lil Gates. Yeah, it's a great, well, great actor, but it's, yeah, we, we, we love him so much, it's a bit of a kind of... <laughs> Black Mark well, against it's, us. It's certainly a love-hate relationship. We, we love him and he hates us. Yeah. <laughs> so I think as a, a bit of advice for the listener, as, as we're doing our Pirate Planet review, start drinking now. now. Yeah. Uh, so you're ready for our tosh uh, with Pirate Planet. Can we generally review... Um, the, the Williams era in terms of TARDIS is out of five. I don't think that's appropriate, really, but two, I suppose. It's a two for me. Sometimes it reaches 3.5, but generally yeah. it's a two. But do you think I'd it's because it, three. Cause it kind of comes after such a... Br- well, as we just uh, established last um, episode with the, with the Tom Baker special, it was the best era of Doctor Who we think ever. Mm. And then it sort of falls downhill. But as I say, people still enjoy Doctor Who, still watched it, and, and Tom Baker is... Looms large, but it's not for this era. Yeah. Watch it for Tom. Yes, and worry for his health. And from that, we're going into the time space visualizer with the pirate planet. Oh, it's a time space visualizer. Yes, <clears throat> Doctor Who and the Pirate Planet by Douglas Adams. Okay, so Doctor Who in the previous story has been tasked by the White Guardian, played by Cyril Luckham, who would later turn up as the baddie in the Omega Factor <laughs> uh, with Louise Jameson, um, to find the key to time, which has been split up into various segments. Why he has to do this, God only knows. But anyway, <laughs> he's tasked with this. Doctor Who has completed one. With the reboss operation, he's, he's successfully gathered this first key to time. So the pirate planet is his second quest to gather the second key to time. He's got this sort of tracking device, um, uh, like sat-nav sat like thing, sort of like a Geiger counter stroke yeah. sat-nav device in the TARDIS, or in TARDIS if it's William Hartnell's era, but, which it isn't, <laughs> to take him to a particular location where he can gather the next key to time. But the, the, the randomizer, I think, is, is that what it's called? The randomizer is something completely different. Is that completely different? The, 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 the key to time locating device. The um, locator, isn't it? The locator. It never makes it easy for Doctor Who. He sort of has to go through an entire adventure. He doesn't just, just turn up. There it is, off we go. <laughs> so Doctor Who, Romana Mark I and John Leeson <laughs> land on the planet... 
tell your friends. Or do they? Or do they? Or do they? Or do they? You see? I can't remember even because Calyphrax. Doctor okay. Who remembers that Calyphrax is it's cold, it's damp, it's wet, it's miserable. It's very like whales. Because they're called Robin. But this Calyphrax that they've landed on is um, is pristine. It's pretty. It's nice. And they're all sort of diamonds scattered over the floor and precious stones. And some guy who looks extraordinarily like Michael Palin <laughs> and tells him what a, what a great time it is. And or, or, it's a very and the, the captain, what a wonderful guy he is. He, he seems to be in charge. This captain, he's in charge of what's going on, and he's very benevolent. He's a benevolent leader. Uh, he's a bit like Ceausescu. <laughs> and um, and Doctor Who thinks there's something amiss here because the, the, this isn't the planet that I remember. And the locator thing for the key to time is going crazy. And Romana can't figure it out. Romana Mark One. Romana Mark One is played by the late Mary Tam. Can't figure it out. Um, and so they, they potter around this planet. They figure out that there are various people going on. But the general populace of this planet, which all seems to live in one small town. Or one small set. Yeah. <laughs> they, they seem to be happy it's enough. It's because it's they, they're given everything that they want. All these diamonds fall from the sky and so on. So they're, they're quite wealthy. But there's, there's no real way of... But there's a sinister edge because... Of because of how the economy works. Some of them have got dodgy makeup and living... Mm. That's right. Ill, the matriarchs. You, you get some people who look very pale. I mean, but black under the eyes, yeah. like they've had a dodgy prawn sandwich and they're suffering as a consequence. One of them looks like the actor Kevin Eldon. <laughs> Mm. They all look like they're coming from a crack house, don't they? Yeah, they yes. do rather. Yeah, they do yeah. rather. Sweaty. They look yes. sweaty. Waxy. Mm. Yeah. Waxy. Star Trek fans. Yeah. So, so is Tom Baker's the, the epitome of health? Oh, yes. Awful. Well, you, th you think the Mentiads are up to no good. But are they? <laughs> yeah, but are they necessarily the bad guys? And what's going on uh, on this? Why is it called the Pirate Planet? And Doctor Who uh, uh, figures out a way to meet the pirate captain who's played by Bruce Purchase with this very larger than life character. He's very much a Captain Hook, isn't he? As in um, uh, uh, Sky Demon! Uh, yeah, oh, sorry. Sorry. Japan. Yeah, sorry. J.M. It's all it's got all that going on. Yeah. It's got all that element to it. And the the pirate captain is looked after by this nurse. Who seems to have a bit of an attitude problem? She seems, she seems almost quite hot and sexy, though, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She's, she's got cheek cheekbones to die for. Lovely blue eyes. Yes, and she's she's very uh, cool and in control, whereas Bruce Purchase's captain is very uh, combustible and highly strung, over the top. Yeah. One man. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you've got this interesting. I'm surprised Brian Blessed on. wasn't pulled in for that. Yeah. <laughs> Although Bruce Purchase. He's very good. Yeah. And you've got Mr. Fibuli, who's a nice character as well. With the white afro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a so sort of worried Jewish. So I mean, it sounds like a, a, a dazzling uh, sort of. I mean, uh, the way you talk about it sounds great. Well, it's an interesting setup. I mean, there's lots of big ideas in there. Mm. So they later learn, and it might be a spoiler for some. Uh, Younger. They later it? learn that the planet that they're on. Zanak, is it? Zanak? Zanak, wasn't it? Yes. Zantax. Has landed Zero. around Calyphrax. <laughs> it is sucking it dry. And they have this way of, of, of shrinking down the remains of planets, which of course would make something so dense that it would create a black hole yeah. conditions. And they're using that within the uh, spaceship, which is. Really, and, but the actual, the whole planet of Calyphrax jumps 
through space. No, Califax doesn't. Califax is destroyed. Califax is a victim. Oh, sorry, Xanax. Yes, Xanax jumps through space. Prozac. To to suck dry planets, and that's why it's called the Pirate of... For vast energy reasons for the princess yes. or the queen. Oh, yes, well, in order to keep alive. I'm guessing any losers that are listening to this podcast have probably seen the pirate planet. Well, Do you know the actress who played Queen Zancia with um, the, the old crone? Is she dead? Vi- Cynthia Grenwell. <laughs> <laughs> it was either it was Cynthia Grenwell or Braden Morbius. No, it's not. No, it's it Vi somebody else. But she, she lived until about 1990. No. She, she did, honestly. They were very rude about her. She's disgusting. Yeah. sitting in a chair they're yes. like who would want to end up like that old bitch <laughs> oh she's awful she's just a creature it's like it's just an old woman I, she I took her pulse it was really that. awful about really rude about her I felt her. sorry for her because she was she... sat there munching on her gums doing her best yeah. old acting she well was... she took her teeth out you know she took her pulse fair out. enough but if she was actually put loads of makeup on and had a sort of uh, bizarre look like just someone, it's just an old person, <laughs> old person. that could be anybody's grand it could be my grandma <laughs> yeah. very rude I thought so she's she's mixed up in the whole business, and I thought oh, we can't reveal really how, can we? Well, the, me- the, men- <laughs> the men, the men, the men, the sort of come into their own, don't they? They, they, yeah. they, they, yeah. they, they, they become goodies. Well, they become they, goodies, and then so forth. They, they stand s- around going, "We can't do anything." They're we very can't dramatic. Do anything. They stand outside a door saying, "We can't open it." Yeah, and then they lift up a wrench. Mm. Um, I must admit, I, you know, it was on the list of things to watch, and I got to half end of episode three, and I just had to, uh, my eyes were just drooping. I had to go to bed. Oh dear. It was only about half past nine, but I was so exhausted. It was just soporific. I think it does sag in the middle. I think it's. it's, it's mm. boring. I think the problem with it is that it's Pennant Roberts' direction, which is yep. a bit flat. The, co- the colours are rather muted on location. It's a dreary location. It's very wet, isn't it? But, I mean, it, Douglas it doesn't, it doesn't write a great script, but at least it's full of ideas, but you don't, you don't really get the impression that Pennant Roberts understands one of them. I don't, I, I don't know Pennant Roberts, but he seems like a very simple man. <laughs> He's dead now. Dead now. Dougie's script has a lightness of touch that's required, and Pennant Roberts' direction doesn't have no, the lightness leaden. of touch. And so I think, you know, all the pirate stuff in the first couple of episodes is so boring. It's like, You've heard one shouty man. That's you know. Come on, mix it up a bit. I know that's meant to be an act, and that he's actually a bit more mm. sensitive in the in the final episode. But there's nothing to give you any purchase on his character. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see that Dougie Adams has written in this uh, this robot parrot to give yeah. moments of action, oh, it's but awful. it's badly realised. So mm. It just doesn't work, does it? And it's so slow. Yeah. Is it just... a reference to uh, Clash of the Titans? Where maybe they got a little clockwork yeah. I think that came yeah. later. I think that came in 1981. Yeah, so maybe they got the idea from but it really doesn't work, does it? No, it, it's, a, it's a lovely idea, but they don't pull it off. I mean, maybe if David Maloney had directed it, I think it might have been rather a lot better. But all those scenes may have been more the, sinister. Uh, I think it would have had something with, more sinister. Uh, what's his name? Fib, fib, uh, Mr. Fibberty. Andrew Roberts. That, that could have been funny. I could perceive that, what's his name, Andrew? The actor who played Mr. Fibberty, yeah. Andrew Roberts. Andrew Roberts knew what he was doing, and if he was to ramp that up slightly more, and do that sort of sycophantic sort of, um, and the, and the, and, the, and Bruce Purchase could play off that, and they could actually have a relationship. As it was, it was just you shout, you fawn, you shout, you fawn, and that's it's not enough. And, I, and, mm. and you know, with Douglas Adams, as we've just talked about, he's a great writer, but he just wasn't on fire here. And if he's not, if he's not paired with a good director who just doesn't understand his humour, well, probably coming from a different generation. This was early in Dougie's career as well, and um, I don't think Pennant Roberts knew that it was meant to be funny. 
Who is the script editor? Was, was it still Anthony Reid at the time, or was it was Dougie the actual script editor? Let's have a look in John Martin Fissier's program guide. Right? But I kept but wanting to think this is good, but it's not. Didn't know how to structure stories terribly well, didn't Because it wasn't his no, forte. No, no. Uh, script, uh, script editor was Anthony Reid. Yeah, so Anthony Reid did say that he, he needed to, uh, a bit, bit of, to give Dougie but some But I reckon, I reckon he could have been given free reign and that would have been fine. Mm. I think you give him free rate and he could do what he do does and it'd be fine, but he was being forced into a box and this is the Doctor Who box. Mm. Unfortunately that's the way that Doctor Who is, you've got to sort of make four episodes and it's got to have yeah. returning characters and a certain amount of sets. Douglas Adams' imagination was, he can't, he can't limit it to that. And if you do, it, it turns out dreary. I think that was a great effort though in terms of the production design of this. I mean, I was watching it, I think in that set, the bridge. The bridge is It's it? yeah, so yeah. busy. Yeah. And you compare it to all the Bay stuff we've had before that. It's Fair a really enough. busy set. And thinking, yes. They really tried. And the costume on, on the captain is actually pretty good. It is, yeah. They've got depth in there. They've tried. But I think, again, I think we have to lay the blame at Penelope Roberts here because the script's okay. Yeah, 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 the yeah, cast's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. It's just, it, it doesn't, it's not alive on screen, is it? Yeah. The direction is very, really very slow. It's the cutting flat. is slow. Mm. And it's flat. I mean, there's an awful lot of uh, horrendous um, fights, gunfights between the, the guards and the Mentias. Awful effects. It just doesn't come across very well. And it's, yeah. it's very flat. And again, that's Penn and Roberts. But what's going on with Tom Baker? He's obviously ill. He's been, has he been bitten by He's a been dog? bitten by a dog. He was pissed and he bent over to a dog to say, hello. And it latched itself it, onto it was, his face. It was Paul Seed's dog. <laughs> Paul Seed's dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, ha I went to the, we were in the pub and Paul Seed uh, had his dog with him. So <laughs> I thought I'm going to get the dog some sausages and I, I got some sausages and I was distracting the dog's attention. And, uh, and so I went to go like this uh, to attract the dog. So what I didn't realise was that the dog didn't like people going, oh, and, uh, like that dog went for my lip. Some sort of terrier. <laughs> but he looks so... He looks, he looks dreadful. Shocking. And he's just, and, and, and I think that's the thing about all that patting about that we mentioned earlier. Mm. It's fine if he's on fire, but if he's not feeling well, which he's obviously had a sort of a bad dog injury, he's probably hungover. He's definitely hungover. He, he, should be off, he should be off sick. You've seen the bit where he flips the coin. There's a close-up of his hand holding it, and it's trembling. <laughs> well, he looks yellow, doesn't he? He's he terrible, does. sallow skin. And I think, yeah. you know, when he's on fire, Tom Baker is brilliant, but when he's not, it's just a bit like, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, no, poor Tom Baker. Well, he's looking well, he down the lens. Well, very well. I mean, I'm going to give him credit, because, you know, when he does the... Uh, when he gets very angry and no, angry, I, no, I, that, I, I don't think I don't agree. You know, that's the bit that I marked out as being. If this, if he was on fire, this would be excellent. But it's not. It's kind of. You can see what he's trying to do. And it is Tom Baker is great, but it is sort of slightly under rehearsed and, and just from one emotion to the next without much build up. But I, I just think that that's an example of Tom just being just phoning it in. Yeah. Really? If I shout, it'll be fine. Mm. I did quite like the moment when Tom talks to himself. I, and it was, I think it was a bit where he was most entertained. He goes, hello, Doctor, hello, Doctor. Oh, yes, yeah. and it just, it's, a, it's a moment which actually, the, the show comes alive yeah. for a second. Oh, yes, that bit, yes, that's not bad. And that's I, okay. say, I, I bought this uh, uh, on BBC Store. You can now download. Oh, right. So you can buy the thing and download it onto your phone or an iPad or a laptop. So I, I How modern? It on my phone. What did it cost you? $4.99. Probably a rip-off. But, you know, I've got it forever now. So, you know, but, uh, Samuel Payne's been a little busy and usually he sends me the DVD via a return of post. Mm. I didn't want to worry it, so I bought it from the easy store. So now I can watch it again and again and again <laughs> if I really want to. I don't know. 
I, I think it's a lovely little story, and I think it would really sing along with a better director. This is a typical example from that era where the yeah. doctor goes in the TARDIS, presses red ones, even says, well, isn't that clever? Yes. I don't know. I think it, it doesn't make up. any sense, though. But no, it, it attempts to make sense. Does it? I didn't get it. Maybe they I'm don't even fit. show, they don't even show, that's Douglas Adams all over, they don't even show the, the new ones. It's just sort of like, now we've got some work to do, just sort of do all the things we've said we're going to do. When he hits it with a big spanner, doesn't he? Well, what happens after that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't really remember the ending. He hits it with a big spanner. It ends, and then it, it has another ten minutes, uh, yeah, five minutes, right. as, as a sort of a subsequent ending. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Doctor leaves, and leaves all these people stranded on this world with no government. Oh, that's right. I mean, the last shot is... Wave the last shot. Bye-bye! Bye-bye, Doggan. Oh, no. Whoever you are. Fuck the lobby. So what do we give it, out of it can't be more than two for me just because I fell asleep. So right. I just think that's sort of, that the sort of the most personal review of any Doctor Who story. You fall asleep halfway through, uh, and I did a struggle. Even when Greg texted me saying, uh, "Are you going to muster up the courage to watch episode three and four? I, I felt my eyelids drooping as he Ooh. even mentioned it. Oh gosh! It did pick up an episode four because Ros Moore starts uh, acting, but. Um, She's quite good. She's very, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I quite like her. A scene which always just just tickles me is when is uh, Bruce Purchase says, "I'll be free of you, you hag," <laughs> which is very funny and it just appeals yes. to my my love of overacting. You've used that in many your relationship breakups. I'll be free of you, you hag. Yeah. <laughs> so then, it's two for me, two times. I think it's. Uh, I think I'm going to give it a three because there's some good stuff in it, and I think you know it's it's it's, it's typical of its period. It's probably yeah. the best story we could have chosen from the Williams era. But it, it just reminded me Patchy. of all that bad period. I'm sort of all in a bad period. With worse to <laughs> with worse to come. Exactly. But, but well, exactly. I mean, I think it's, it's full, full of lovely ideas, and uh, I really like the performances in it as well. So I might be perverse here and give it a four. Duh. Oh, I disagree with you, chaps. I think it's uh, one of the better ones for well, the keys of time. And I think it's a, a pretty damn good uh, shot at the Graham Williams era. Like you say, the bridge set is much better than a lot of the stuff around it. So. But I must say, you say that it's the best of keys of time, but I did really enjoy the Reavers operation on what's happening to me recently. Mm-hmm. Did we do that for the podcast? Well, yeah. I watch it, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing in my life? Well, that was Bob Holmes, isn't it? It's yeah, a Bob Holmes. Another story. great writer, so two great writers. So I've seen the original True Grit, yet I'm watching the Rewatch operation in the same time. For no reason other than entertainment. Oh, my flies run down. Steady. No, 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 you two run along. I'm going to do a spot of reading. Determined to finish this book before we reach Bombay. Downer, really, in the Williams. It's the late seventies. It should be cheerful. It's a I disco. Think this, the Crowner's comfort's gone to our heads. Really, yeah. it's, uh, it's rather strong, and maybe we've become a little bit morose and sombre, like Tom. Like Tom, yes. Um, but from the, dog the has bitten me. <laughs> from the ashes of the late seventies comes this new, sparkly, exciting Technicolor object. What is it, Tom? What do you have in your hands? It's called Fandom. It's called Fandom, <laughs> and it's uh, it's Marvel Comics present Doctor Who Weekly. 
Um, this is an original. This is a this is a re. re it's it's one of the reproduced ones yeah, from about yeah. ten years ago. They did it. So on October the seventeenth, nineteen seventy nine, which was what was what was airy at that point? Find out what was airy. Uh, it would have been round about Horns of Nyman. Yeah. Okay. A new uh, publication was available in all good news agents. Comic strips features pinups Doctor Who Weekly. Fantastic first issue. And it's got a lovely picture of t- uh, Tom Creature Baker. From the pit. Creature from the pit. Creature from the pit was on when you were. So actually, what, Buddy Windrush so, writing. <laughs> Save the ink on that uh, stamp. No, hold on. Uh, so yes, yeah, so you have a, a new, a new uh, sort of. Well, I suppose you have Dalek Mania in the in the sixties, and this is a new era of, of giving kids something to read. And, and we have the annuals, but this is this is quite exciting. It's a good, an exciting, but it's still going, isn't it? It's Doctor Who magazine. <laughs> <laughs> we all read it as kids. Yes, so, yes. You know, come on. I stopped reading it shortly before the new series came out because yes. I just became wholly new television Doctor Who and I wasn't really interested. Three or four was the last issue. Really? Gosh. Um, Their complete lack of interest in the death of Peter Bryant was the, <laughs> the death knell for me. I used to occasionally buy it and not read it when uh, the new series has been on. I was like, why am I buying this piece of dross? But here we are back in 79. Back in the 79. It was mainly comic strips. Uh, but I, I just let's let, <laughs> also have fun with the amazing Mr. Bellamy. Uh, this is shortly before we found out he was a climate change denier and racist, <laughs> David Bellamy. So, so quite beautiful uh, artwork by Dave Gibbons. I mean, Sam's going to talk about this in more detail, but I do think there's a cultural landmark. Uh, the first issue of, of Doctor Who Weekly because it does it reflects something as you were saying about the sort of people that were watching it. There was a there was a there was a vigor in fandom and it was a, it was Doctor Doctor Who Appreciation Society was in its pomp. People started watching Doctor Who and caring about it. Yes. Well, you know. well, I mean, you had things like that ran for years in Doctor Who magazine, like the the Matrix data bank, where people could write in about facts and things. And then the, the VHS has slowly started being released, so it was a place to go, and you'd see these photographs from the production of I don't know the Sunmakers or something, and think, wow, you know, and all the and the Peter Hainings books, I suppose, did the same thing. They would whet your appetite for this great, illustrious, rich history that you were drip fed. Uh, but now everybody's got access to all the stories. Mm. Uh, we've seen the photographs many times. Well, that's just that's, the, that's the decline of magazine culture generally now, though. Yeah. Yes, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not it's just Doctor Who magazine. Oh no, indeed. So but I think you know you, the, the, the the emphasis on this first issue and from from issues henceforward was on comics. Hmm. But it was basically like the TV Twenty One. We mentioned that last week. Uh, we did, didn't we? With the Dalek uh, yeah. stuff and. Uh, but the quality of the artwork, I, I'd like to repeat, is really good. So uh, you've, Dave got, you've got a sort of a gra- what they call graphic novel these days, um, Sam, and this is like a collection of what they call the Iron Legion, which is the that's source. right. Would you like to just talk about yeah. that? Well, I believe the most expensive part of, two of the manufacturing process for Doctor Who Weekly and Doctor Who Monthly was the the strips. Uh, the most expensive element. Really? I believe so. Well, when you look at the artistry, it's, it's in there. Dave Gibbons, you know, is a, a an artist of much repute. There he is. Well, actually. You keep talking about Dave Gibbons. Who is Dave Gibbons? Dave Gibbons is a comic strip artist. I believe he he, he worked on is it 2000 AD, Tom? Um, I think so. Yeah. And then uh, went on to do the Doctor Who comics. 
and the artwork is absolutely fantastic. I mean, this is this is top draw stuff. I mean, I don't think you'll see this in the current Doctor magazine to this standard. He's a very good artist, and he worked with writers Mills and Wagner. It says here to produce some damn good stories. And the first one that was launched in the first Doctor Who weekly was Doctor Who and the Iron Legion, which I think most people have seen. What's great about these stories, apart from them being incredibly fast-paced, is the likeness of Tom Baker. Mm. If you look at some of the 70s strips that were in, I think it was TV Comic and Countdown and other, other magazines at the time, it's a generic big-nosed guy with fluffy hair. It could be John yeah. Pertwee, it could be Tom Baker. By 1979, we really have a, a landmark period where they were actually making a serious comic strip which could be enjoyed by adults as well as children because of the standard of drawing. And this is a, really a tradition which has continued to this day, having a, a, a monthly strip in Doctor Who magazine. Mm. A bit like the Colin Baker era, the strips were more exciting, the stories were better. Really when Colin Baker stripped, it was far more exciting <laughs> than when he, uh, <laughs> yeah. appeared as Doctor Who. On TV, you have Colin Baker, sorry, Tom Baker looking a bit rough around the edges and stories which are really un uninspiring. In the strips, you have uh, the Tom Baker of old that we remember from the mid 70s. And good production values with in the stock strips. Good production <laughs> values. It looks really good. It's really operatic. It's really broad scale stuff. And it doesn't take long for the Daleks to appear. Ah. So you have Daleks and Cybermen, Sontarans, I'm guessing all without license agreements <laughs> right. at the time, uh, appearing. And they're absolutely fantastic. And you can pick these up pretty cheaply. Doctor and the Dogs of Doom is a story where the Daleks appear. And Dave Gibbons has got the Daleks down to an absolute T. They're fantastic. We talked last time about how difficult it seems Very to be difficult. for people to draw Daleks. I mean, Dave Gibbons seems to have it down pat. I think Dave Gibbons famously said that the, all he had to do to draw Tom Baker was to have curly hair, a big nose and a double chin, which yes, is yeah. pretty much evidence there. Uh, I think these are well worth revisiting. The stories are pretty forgettable because the comic strips, you know, aimed at, you know, teenagers. But I think it's an absolutely beautiful product. Highly recommended. Check it out. And uh, just as a, it's just sort of the start of something that we mm. have to this day, which is a sort of a fandom that has. I mean, I just think it is phenomenal. And, you, and you know, people with, who don't have a knowledge of Doctor Who say, "Okay, so you, especially during when it wasn't being made, you have a magazine that comes out every month devoted to a program that's no longer being made, yes, and yes. you're buying it. <laughs> it's like, uh, what yes. is in that book? magazine? It's incredible." Yes, I remember one in the early '90s that had um, Patrick Troughton on the, the front cover, and my dad said, "He's been dead for years. <laughs> What's he?" What's the news about him? <laughs> like every week, um, or every month, he used to avidly read. These are all the stories and instances where Doctor Who ate something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we love facts and things like that. Yeah, when I was about 12, um, that was... But uh, you, you, you boys who like illustration and things like that, I mean, I used to write Doctor Who stories. I, I always used to... My, my cast was always Doctor Who, Sarah Jane Smith and Ian Martyr. Well, I used to like writing Doctor Who stories. Did you do Doctor Who comic strips? I didn't. I didn't. I used to draw them incessantly. So I used to draw caricatures yeah. of the Doctors and the Daleks. I used to have was down it, Was it a particular Doctor <laughs> Who? <laughs> Uh, all of them, all of them. Uh, I mean, uh, earlier ones more than later ones because Sylvester McCoy was quite hard mm. to draw. Yes. Uh, and Tom Baker was a, a joy, and as was Pertwee, Harden, and Troughton. And after that, it's slightly, it's harder to draw younger people. Peter Davison's very Less written on the face. Uh, yes. Face Davo. <laughs> he used to draw comic strips, though, of the actual Doctor's son. Well, Andrew Skillerton never got uh, Peter Davison right. Yeah. No one ever did. Did, did the, you do the... Uh, who's the uh, Peter Davison. Well, did you draw uh, comic strips? I did, did I, and I still have Were you inspired by Gibbons? Uh, I was inspired by Gibbons, but I was mostly inspired by... <laughs> <laughs> 
monkeys he and the Jersey boy. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, take me to see the Gibbons again. I mostly rooting, Samuel. I found Daleks easier to draw than people because I practiced them yes. so many times. And Mortis he said, Sam Payne. I was I was fortunate enough to have a, the Daypole Dalek toy to turn around and sketch for various angles. Yes. I didn't have Tom Baker to hand to no. turn around and sketch. No. Um, so I didn't. I had Tom Baker down pat. Top <laughs> <laughs> man. I think the thing with comic strips is it's, it's it's a different way of absorbing a story, and after the first few pages, you get used to to reading in that way. Some people only read comic strips; they don't no. read real fiction. Really? Can you believe that? Some people only watch television. Some people call uh, comic books graphic novels and get very upset if you call them comics. Some people in old films and old books, especially from the North, call magazines books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're watching Billy Lowe. Oh, Mookie books. You got, you got your book again, have you? It's not a book, it's a comic, you idiot. What have you got in there? Is it Mookie books? <laughs> <laughs> yes, usually. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, well, interesting stuff. Yeah, so definitely check out the, the, the beginnings of the comic strip era for Doctor Who in the late 70s from uh, Marvel, which is possibly the best era of the comic strips. Worth Bloody checking out. Marvel. Bloody marvellous. IF stands for index file. Right, come on then. <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's IF... Thank you for joining me. It's nice to have you. It's lovely to be in the cab. It's all very wearying. It's called... <laughs> Come on, fuck up. It's called Autobiographies. Right. Ah, I have here a list of books right. that have been written by people who have something to do with Doctor Who. Um, these are the autobiographies or memoirs of anybody with a connection with Doctor Who. Okay. I'm going to read the title of the book. You need to tell me who wrote them. Right. We'll give it a go. And they, I mean, they all... Are they obscure people who we'd never heard of? No, no, no. You you will have heard of all of them, I think. The Moons of Balloon by David Niven, that sort of thing. That sort of thing. But but you would have heard of virtually all of them. There's only one you possibly won't have heard of. Okay. So here we go. Fingers on buzzers. (laughs) Right, okay. Well, the first one one to shout out the correct answers. (laughs) The first one is So Much Love. Ah, Beryl Reed. Tom, correct? (laughs) Hey! So, one point to Tom. High Spirits. Ooh. Uh, no. Uh, something about ghost... Uh, uh, I mean, ghost light. <laughs> I'll <laughs> give you a clue. What a carry-on. Yeah, Joan Oh, Joan Sim. Tom's there slightly, Sorry, yeah, slightly yeah. higher than before. Caught in the act. Caught in the act. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a clue. Major, 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 major British film actor of his day who ended up being a doctor who later in his career. Uh, uh, Ken Dodd? <laughs> it's not Ken Dodd. Major British. The Dambusters? Oh, not, not William Russell, yes? No, no. No, no, he was in The Great Escape, didn't he? He was in Kinder? Oh, well, Richard Todd. Richard Todd. Oh, thank you. And what was it called? Caught in the Act. Right, fair enough. Caught in the Act. You kind of gave, actor, that, yes, actor, gave yes. that to me, really, Greg. Here's, here's one that um, you might not get, but it has been, it did win the Theatre Book Award Prize of some various something or other. Uh, the name of the thing is Covering McKellen. Well, this is an actor who understudied Ian McKellen. Ah, and Edward wrote a, wrote a diary about it. Edward Petherbridge? Uh, it's, a, it's a good guess. He wasn't in Doctor Who. He wasn't in Doctor Who. That's probably the problem. You uh, might not get the actor. Not Anthony Sher. It's a little bit obscure. I've, I've read about this. Uh, he was in Doctor Who more than once. Ooh. He appeared with Patrick Troughton and Tom Baker. 
No, I don't know. He was, in the, he was in the War Games and also Warriors Gate. Oh, the... Clifford Rose? Yes. No. David Weston. Neither of you got that one. Never mind. Life and Other Punctures. A 1978 account of bicycling in France and Holland on a Moulton bicycle. <laughs> what? She, now there's a clue, she also wrote Cedric Price Retriever, an inventory of the contents of bookshelves of her partner, the architect Cedric Price. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, do you want a clue? Yeah. Yes. Exquisite. Oh, it's it's. Oh, I know. She's in Revelation of the Daleks and um, uh, City of Death, isn't she? Yes. And her name is. She's beautiful. Jewess. She is Jewish. I, I, I'm um, oh God, I know her name. It's on the tip of my tongue. E. B. Elena Bron. Oh, Correct. of course, yes. Two apiece. So anyway. Uh, oh. No, I don't know. Clue. I refer to the previous answer. John Cleese. Yes! Oh, yeah, Sam goes into the lead, three one. against two. Here's a slightly easier one. Canine stole my trousers. It's not John Neeson. No, it's not John Neeson. Who else could it be? Oh. Ian Martyr? No, he wasn't his canine, was he? No. Not Mary Town. Strictly to do with canine. Bob Baker? Tom's Bob got Baker. it. There we go. Tom's got it. Three I was going to say David Briley, but no one would write a biography about him. Look at it my way. Tom said it earlier. I think it was Tom. Hmm. He used to do a joke. This is the way I look at it. Ken Dog. Yes. Hey. <laughs> Four to three. This one is called About Acting. He was an he, he was an actor, but he wrote a book about acting. It's about the, the theory of acting. About Simon Callow wrote stage a book about acting. Similar sort of actor to Simon Callow. Yeah. Uh, Julian Glover. Richard Bryant. It's a good guess. Both good guesses, but it's not right. Uh, um, uh, a very fine actor. There's no real way of, of giving it to you without... Um, what story? Yeah. He was in The Ice Warriors. Bernard Breslau? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guy with the stick? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Peter Barkworth. Yeah. Oh, yes. Neither of you got that. New out, hot off the press. It's a novel. A novel. The novel is called The Butcher's Hook. Oh, is it Maureen O'Brien? It's not Maureen O'Brien, it's a woman. Nope. Uh, uh, that woman off that thing? <laughs> <laughs> What's it, her name? Uh, oh, I don't know. Former Blue Peter presenter? Oh, uh, Janet Ellis. Janet Ellis! It's nice got some thought. sexy scenes in it. She was on Woman's Hour talking about it. Oh. It's got some erotic scenes in it. Oh, it's yeah. It's a lucky book. It's a lucky book, yeah. <laughs> So it's four apiece. This is the last one I have, so this is the decider's oh, race. The, okay. the decider's full circle. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so thinking Andrew Smith. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you more excited by this one? Uh, we you seem to be enjoying it. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to be to get complacent. The, qu the, the title is Fading into the Limelight. Oh, I know that. It's not uh, a woman, is it? No. no. It's a man. It's a man, though. As a penis. Pertwee? Oh. Nope. What era are we talking? Uh, Trouton. Fading into the limelight. Mm -hmm. That's a toughie. Is it Philip Maddock? It's not. Um, it relates to Peter Barkworth's About That Thing. <laughs> I don't know about that. Same story, I swear it is. Oh, oh. Uh, Thingy from uh, the old guy from 
Last of the Summer Wine. Yes. What's his name? I can't remember his name. Tom. Salis. Salis. Peter Salis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Ryan Wilde. No, it's Peter Salis. All oh, right, you're right. Got it. I don't mind. I'll happily lose. Well, uh, that was actually quite better. enjoyable. I am. Better. Well done, Greg. Yeah, well, at least I bothered to think <laughs> <laughs> more than you fuckers have done. to really just applaud poor old Williams for giving it a go before we close this, because I think it's been a real downer. This well, it was a real downer for him. I mean, he, you know, he was a highly intelligent man who ended up, you know, Cambridge, I think it was Cambridge educated, who ended up working for the BBC and producing a, a show, and he was saddled from day one with having to tone down the violence. And when did he die? Lack of budget. 1991. Oh. Very early 90s, you know. And he's quite a enigmatic character. I mean, people don't really remember him being around that much. There's not a lot that's known about him. The, the footage I've seen of Graham Williams, or convention footage, he just looks quite loose and fed up when he's talking about doctors. It's like, there's no money. Terribly proud of it, isn't he? There's no money, and I, the, the, the scripts weren't very good. He could have done more with his life, and I think he realised that. Yeah. Maybe we're, there's a bit of Graham Williams in us all. Yeah. <laughs> the 70s have come to an end. We're moving into the 80s. Next time we talk about Tom Baker, it will be 1980. Thatcher. Thatcher. John Nathan Turner, Tom. Oh, two <laughs> idiots. <laughs> two the music's playing. We've got just enough time, Greg, for you to seed that line that we couldn't get earlier. Intimidation. The more ritual and mumbo-jumbo, the greater deterrent. That's the whole point of officials, eh? Uh, Is it something along the lines of, I don't know, Nightmare of Eden? That era? It's terrible Doctor Who. It's Graham Williams' era. Right. <laughs> I have described it as the Nadir of the time. So Underworld. Yes, yeah. it's Underworld. Do you want to guess an episode? Episode three. Yes, it's episode three. <laughs> episode three hey, of well the done. Underworld. Well, that's it then. OK. Well, we uh, look forward to seeing you in the next episode when we'll be talking about regeneration stories. They're all in it. They're all in it, sometimes with two doctors in it. <laughs> Until then, see you next time. If you enjoyed listening to that twaddle, you can follow us on Twitter at DW Menagerie. That's at DW Menagerie, and we'll be tweeting various photographs of our inside leg measurements and that sort of thing. Doctor Who is copyright of the BBC. No infringements on copyright are intended. Support Doctor Who by purchasing DVDs and CDs and all other media from the BBC. Any comments made by the complete menagerie, <laughs> almost, are all our own. You've been listening to a Sixth Floor production.